2: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
3: In a minute, we live. We live. we live.
1: This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for locked on to get podcast on the nba the nfl and fantasy sports i'm doug branson joined by the man the myth the legend the guy i call co-host david walker
2: hello co-host you can also <laughs> doug you know hello. what else if you have a smart speaker i know you're out on smart speakers and any any machine invading your home but for, if good, you have an Alexa, for good reason
1: they are they're yeah. listening to us to report us to the authorities
2: <laughs> well, they can also listen to you and play your favorite podcast like this one. So try it out if you've got a smart speaker out there.
1: Sure, they'll they'll yeah, they'll allow you to listen to our podcast, they'll record your every word and predict your every thought, and eventually
2: murder you in your sleep. Eventually they'll be our companions for life and but be able until to then, our loved ones so that we...
1: <laughs> But until then, enjoy the fact that you can say, hey, Alexa, Listen to Locked On Hornets, and they will play us. All right. Also, if you're looking for a podcast app, if you haven't settled on a podcast app, maybe you're slightly unhappy with your current podcast app, let me suggest using Overcast. They are not a sponsor of this podcast, but they are our favorite way to listen to podcast, and we have climbed the rankings thanks to some of you out there who have given us stars on Overcast, and it's a great—personally, I, I personally, it's the one I use— And uh, if you give us a star on Overcast, it helps us out. Also, uh, this show is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Use our promo code L-O-N-B-A to get $20 off your first purchase. And also, I want to mention, I'm going to put a link into the show notes to an article that is going to give you a list of places that you can look into uh, giving some uh, help, some relief for this Harvey recovery Um, it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's just devastating to see the pictures on television of what's happening in Houston and the surrounding areas, Uh, fourth largest city in the country underwater. So many people suffering. If you can just give a little bit, just a little bit because everybody's little bit ends up collecting and turning into a lot. I've seen JJ Watt. Have you seen JJ Watt stuff? He's raised like $6 million from just people's, donation and him getting out on social media and then all of these sports teams in houston um i I saw the i believe the rockets gave 10 million dollars up they started Mm -hmm. at four went to six and now 10 and and they're doing that they're upping this money because this thing is is just getting worse and worse and uh, they're going to need every cent so if you can please consider helping Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes check that out okay we've got a great show we're going to talk, talk a little fantasy with our friend Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Plus, we've got a new At The Hive writer, Evan Dial, smart guy, smart basketball guy, talking about it, the Charlotte Hornets five-man lineups. He predicts some. He talks about the lineups last season and maybe what went wrong. So we'll talk to Evan about that. But first, let me tell you about SeatGeek. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find the seats that I want. I actually just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to Paramore in September. I was a little worried because I waited until the last minute, David. But SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And boy, I got one, Row F, for what Row X tickets were going for over in Ovens Auditorium. And I don't have to worry about my purchase because it's fully guaranteed. You can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So be like us. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket. And here's the best part. Our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app right now and enter promo code LONBA. That's promo code LONBA for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Okay, it's fantasy sports time in the United States. People are finishing up their fantasy football drafts. I've cut myself down to one fantasy football league. David, I'm down to one league. That's it. It's the league that I won last year, so it's a good good league to pick. We just finished up our fantasy football draft. Have you done any yet? David, you still with me? Uh Uh-oh.
2: But yes, sir. yep, I am, I am. No, 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 no. Just, just uh, hit the mute button there, Doug. So we're all good. That happens. is still good. Uh, uh, yes, as I was saying, I was actually screaming. So it's a good thing I was on mute. If you have an auction draft, just, just show, just, just show up. Make sure you show up. If you don't, if you have multiple people, it throws everything off. The auto draft has inflated values. It messed up my whole, my whole strategy. But I was able to recover. I have a team that would go undefeated five years ago with a bunch of old guys. So I'm feeling really good about the first two weeks until they all get hurt.
1: Tom Brady, Marshawn Lynch, that kind of deal.
2: Oh, no. uh, I think Drew Brees is my guy. And then I've got a stable of wide receivers again that are approaching the wrong side of 30. So we'll see how it goes. Trades. We're already looking for some trades and some pickups.
1: Now, people are starting their fantasy basketball drafts already, and it was the perfect time for us to talk with our good friend Josh Lloyd over at Locked On Fantasy Basketball about the Hornets season and some of the fantasy prospects for guys that will be suiting up in the teal and purple. Now, here's a note. You can listen to the full interview. It was about an hour long on his podcast, but we wanted to bring you a clip on a guy that we haven't talked a ton about this offseason. It's not that he's had a quiet offseason. He's just kind of a quiet guy, Nick Batum. Plus, our pick for Hornets breakout player, watch 2017
3: 18. Check it out. Um, Batum, Doug, he was, I guess some people were a little bit disappointed with what he did last season. He, all in the fantasy community, he has an extraordinarily negative opinion of him amongst many people. Not the people that listen to this show because they're well informed and they know what they're talking about, but. <laughs> The general fantasy community. Like I got into an argument with someone the other day. Like, oh, should I take Batum at pick forty? And someone said, "Well, if you if you if you want someone to miss fi- at least fifteen to twenty games every year, then take him." And that's just that's great. Like, Batum, Batum has <laughs> the most games he's missed in the last eight years is ten, or maybe twelve. Like, so it's just false. But people just have this thing that he's just going to miss all these games, and he's going to be terrible. When in effect, he just gives you top fifty numbers every single season. So. What did you think of him last year? Did you think there was somewhat of a step back? And you know, can it be corrected if there was?
1: Well, I think his two seasons in Charlotte represent his two highest uh, usage percentage seasons, but his efficiency numbers are, are way down from his best years in Portland. So he still hasn't been able to sort of negotiate a uh, higher efficiency offense mixed with a larger role uh, that you you have to have as a max level player as one of the top players uh, on your team. Also, his late game turnovers became an issue last season and cost him, uh, you know, a chance at at several of those close games that I mentioned. So I think all of those things have to rectify themselves. And to Nick Batum's credit, he seemed to after the season recognize that there were moments, games where uh, he should have been the one to step up and take take the reins offensively. And knock down some shots when he needed to knock them down. And basically, you know, when Kimball wasn't having a great night, step up. And he, I think he was a little too passive at times. He spent a lot of time in Charlotte over the offseason trying to improve his game. And I think he sees this as a very crucial season. But whatever his offensive efficiency numbers are, he makes so many players better with his passing. Um, the problem is that when you're on a team with few knockdown shooters and star offensive weapons you know his his inability to create his own efficient offense tended to stick out like a like a sore thru- sore thumb so yeah he's definitely going to have to improve that and i i expect him to because i, I think he's recognized it yeah he didn't play he didn't play internationally yeah, that, this off season which is something right. he hasn't yep. done since uh, he was a teenager i'm sure david was about to mention that and, and make me realize that i had that forgotten is. it but i didn't david so there <laughs>
2: Yeah, I was going to say, that was a big thing because we have followed up. We've been following the French national team for like the past three years. Um, but yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. And he's talked about it a lot this summer. I think I believe he stayed in Charlotte a lot and wanted to be here with the team. So I know they're uh, looking forward to him being back and see that as a positive thing. And, you know, Josh, you mentioned that. I mean, he's across the board. He's going to give you the points, assists, and rebounds if he can get those percentages back up a little bit. I mean, he's certainly, certainly a value.
3: Now, Doug, you mentioned that he, he uh, it stood out like a sore thumb and that just triggered in my head an Aussie expression. I don't know if you guys even use it in America. But I'm going to introduce you to it. If, if we say something like that, we can say a little bit more cruder, but we would say it stands out like dog's balls. So that's immediately what came into my head. So I didn't think you guys would have heard that, but that's something that you can just try and drop into a casual conversation <laughs> and have people look at you going, what are you talking about? But that's what I would have said, stuck out like dog's balls. The other thing is the Batum led the Hornets in assists per game last year. I don't think everyone would be totally across that, and he's got a chance to do that again. That's where his value comes from. He can be a a five-and-a-half rebound, five-and-a-half assist, Mm -hmm. over a steal, half a block, two threes, 15 points. And, David, as you said, if he gets the field goal percentage up even to 43%, you're talking about a guy that then vaults into the top 35. So he's a very, very solid mid-round pick, and I don't think if you're looking in those mid-rounds, you should be avoiding him for any whatever made-up, Bullshit stories that are around him missing games. Like he, he'll go through a streak where he'll have like a bad week of games, and he'll like have games where he shoots 20%. And I will get multiple people ask me, oh, "I need to, I need to cut Batum." Okay, "Just calm down." Like he had th- three bad games, and you're ready to cut him because he only scored six points in in uh, each of those games. But people get really onto his back, and I always stress this: that there are players that people have a a really irrational negativity about, and that's where you should target those guys in trades when when that level of play dips a little bit, then you can get them for nothing. And that's, and Batum is always the number one example to me in and, that, and, uh, in yeah. that situation.
2: And, and sorry to interrupt you. He's going to be out there. I mean, this team depends on him so much. Yep. The uptick in Kimball Walker's, pro, you know, progression can be traced right back to when Nick Batum showed exactly. up. Uh, certainly Kimba deserves a lot of that uh, credit, but he is such a big part of this team and, and such a, a key cog in what they do that he's going to have the minutes. He's going to have the opportunities And yeah, you look back at his career; he's going to have the production too. So, were any of those folks you talked to were they from Charlotte, or (laughs) because there's a lot of frustration (laughs) going around?
3: I don't know where that. I don't know where they were from. They could have been from this. But this is even going back to his Portland days. Like back when he was in Uh, Portland, he was doing the same stuff. It was just maybe it's because he punched that guy in the dick in the Olympics a few years ago that people have just got an an irrational hatred of him. I don't know what it is, but there's there's something about Batum that people just have this issue with.
2: And. yeah, and I think especially when he came here, people wanted him to transform into a twenty, you know, twenty point per game yeah. scorer, right, and make that jump because he was, you know, going from third or fourth option to maybe being uh, second. And I just don't think that's in his arsenal. I mean, he's going to provide things across the board, and that's where you find the right,
1: volume. David. But I think he got in trouble, and he sort of admitted this late, late in the season. He got in trouble because I think he was trying to stay so much within himself and, and not sort of go towards that tendency to take over as a scorer that that it hurt the Hornets at times in fact he got in trouble with his wife his wife at one point told him you know Nick you got to start playing like Nick Batum and so you know he's he's going to have to be careful not only uh, to not make the uh, the the fans mad the coaching staff mad but but keep things happy at home and, and become a more efficient offensive
3: player I hope that there is no issues with his wife because actually his worst season was the season when he was having and I don't know if this is this is his second wife because I think he split up from his first wife although that was that was separated and that's when he had his worst season which was that last season in Poland he admitted that that was a real problem so let's let's hope for this that his wife is not going at him too hard for his uh, poor play because <laughs> obviously has an impact on him we just yes. gotta gotta really get deep into the weeds we, here hope we that listen, that's not going to be a always,
1: we're always hoping that people's wives take it easy on him right, so we're both married yeah. so yeah we get it.
3: David, who would be your breakout candidate on this team? You can, uh, you can use whatever criteria you want for, for breakout candidate.
2: Breakout guy. Well, I had a couple of guys that we had already talked about. I, I mean, I would just lean back on, on Frank Kaminsky a little bit. And I know I talked about him not being able to overtake Marvin Williams. I just think, you know, going into this year, um, he needs to be a breakout uh, a player. You know, they're going to ask him to improve on what he did last year. And like I said, he showed flashes of being able to hit that three consistently. They're going to ask it of him again. I mean, if anybody is in that role – and I kind of take Monk and Bacon out of this just being rookies because I think Malik Monk, as you mentioned, with the – you know, where he's being drafted is going to have, you know, kind of a – is going to be a popular pick. But, I I mean – I think Frank is a guy they're asking to be a breakout guy, and so I think if he can improve the three point percentage, he could uh, possibly be a key in some of these wins.
3: Doug, what do you? Uh, which way do you lean?
1: Yeah, I'll stick with Frank Kaminsky as well. Uh, you know, his eleven point seven points, oh, four point
2: no. what? This is not good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: His 11.7 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.2 assists were just good enough to earn him honors of most average player in the NBA, according to StatMuse. And I just wonder, I'll certainly ask about this, but I certainly wonder if if Frank will use that as a... I would. I would use that as a little chip on my shoulder, like, oh, how dare you call me average? Can he take that post-All-Star break breakout that he had and use it uh, to have his next step? You know, he started 9 of 11 games in February. Uh, that was because... The the Hornets traded away two of their centers. Zeller went down with an injury, so he got some chance to play center. Uh, he averaged 18 points per game on 38.6 percent three point shooting in the month of February. So he, he's proven uh, that he has you know the tool set to to do that. Uh, so he's not going to get a chance to play center with Dwight Howard and Johnny O'Brien uh, on the team now. Uh, I think that 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 ship has sailed. Um, but if he can take that and, and, you know, a lot of Frank Kaminsky is mental and that's, that's from the coaching staff. Like they've admitted that like Frank gets in his own head a little bit. So, so can he in year four finally say, look, I have a month in February of last season where, where I dominated and and I can do that and, and take that into this season. Uh, we'll have to see
2: when you look at this roster, like he almost gets that by default because. You kind of know what you have in Lamb and, and the other starters. You kind of know what you have in him. Kimba's going to be there for you. We've talked about Batum. Frank's the guy that still could maybe push himself a little bit and get more consistent and get a little better, you know, when I mean, you got the rookies in the mix too. But, I mean, he's really the only guy that we think we may be able to see a little more from. So I think he's the kind of the logical choice there.
1: Thanks again to Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball for having us on his show And we're going to be working with Josh on a fantasy segment that will premiere on our first day back to daily podcast beginning on September 11th. So we're going to be doing some fantasy content, uh, at least in the beginning of the year. So look out for that. And you can listen to the full one hour Hornets fantasy preview on Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Subscribe today. So, David, you and I agree on the breakout player, Frank Kaminsky, although I would look at Jeremy Lamb, too. I mentioned in that full interview that if you look at it, and if you look at his post all-star break stats just like Frank he had a bit of a breakout and and we talk we talked a lot about how Lamb struggled with the 82 game season struggled with his body 2 seasons ago and he made that a point in the offseason to work on that and while he certainly has things that he needs to work on in terms of his complete game, especially on the defensive end, I think he did a good job of proving, hey, I can play 82 games. I can be consistent. I can have a strong finish.
2: For sure. Um, I think we've just been waiting for that for several years, right? Like we heard about that last year that he had rededicated and gotten his body into shape. So I certainly hope. I mean, he had the he had the opportunity last year. I feel like he'll have it at least early on this year with a couple of young guys coming in there on the wing. So um, I think he can, you know, hold that spot down to some degree, but yeah, I think Frank, especially, like I said, he almost gets it by default. And and I don't mean that as a slight, but like, um, as Josh mentioned, um, and we were talking to him, you know, the Hornets are kind of a known team. Like their parts are known, right? Doug, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the guys are not. There's not a lot of candidates for a breakout year because we've seen a good sample size of, of most of these guys take the rookie, rookies out of that conversation. But Frank is the one guy that we think still has maybe a little more, uh, a little room to grow, right? And I think, I mean, this off season is he the social? He's definitely the social media MVP of the team. I mean, maybe Dwight Howard, but Frank is all over the place throwing 80-yard touchdown bombs and uh, uh, fastballs at, at baseball games. I mean he's really getting out there really, really putting himself out there in the open.
1: Yeah. He's prime. I think it, you know, if his, yeah. if he were to break out, I mean, he already has that social media presence. That's uh, that's a little bit recognizable and he did the ad with Skittles mm-hmm. and he did the ad with like JC Penney right after he got drafted. So it's like people want to market him and, and he just needs, he, that. he just needs that opportunity yeah. uh, to break out on the court. I think to, to, you know, complete the package.
2: Exactly, he's kind of got that, you know, you know, goofy, funny, uh, good sense of humor. Uh, You guys mentioned it last week. I think uh, who you would want to be on your favorite TV show, and I agreed with you. I think you guys all chose Frank, right? Um, Or it was the least majority pick, but like he's got kind of that personality that would be fun uh, and kind of goof around with the McAllisters' sweet tea (laughs) commercials. so yeah, I think Frank's the obvious choice there, and certainly given what he did second half of the season, and if he can improve uh, the consistency, of course, that's always the deal. But and you know, it's, it's a I, question. I think take a shot.
1: Yeah, and this idea of him supplanting Marvin Williams in in the lineup at four, it's a question that's been building. You know, probably since he's been drafted. You know, when when would that occur? Yeah. Because that's what you always ask about top ten draft picks, like when when will they ascend to the starting lineup? And you know, I, I think I was a concrete no last season, and, and certainly his rookie year. But this season, I'm a, I'm still like eighty percent. I don't think it's going to happen. But that that little bit of daylight, and it's based on, you know, his performance in the starting lineup. Even though it was at center, it was a position that he wouldn't play. You know, a lot of if he got back into the starting lineup this season. But you know, I, I would I would not be. Uh, as shocked as I would have been last season, if he were to supplant Marvin, Will- a healthy Marvin Williams in the starting lineup, maybe late in the year.
2: Mm, yeah, I mean, let me ask you this: If it doesn't happen this year, because, like you said, it's been kind of looming for the last three years, is there some level of like disappointment, or is some level of not a, not a failure? It's not a failure if you're not a starter in the NBA, but you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? I mean. I think they were drafting him with the hopes that 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 may happen, even as highly as they think uh, of Marvin. I mean, do you think that is some sign of you know, well, he's just not going to make it, and that that pick, that lottery pick, it isn't what we thought it would be if he doesn't make that jump to supplant Marvin this year.
1: I don't. I don't think it would be a sign that he wouldn't make it. I think there would be some disappointment because when you draft someone top ten, I think you expect them yeah. to to hit a star level. I think that's sort of the t- the ten is the baseline of. You know, mm-hmm. you you want that player to become a star, you know, one of the top three players on your team. And I don't think that ship has totally sailed. But I think, you know, after th- these first couple of looks, it, it seems like all of the concern about Frank on draft night was that, well, you know, he, he, he probably will be a solid player, a, a rotational player, but does he have the potential to break through? Um, I think we got a glimmer of that. I mean, he averaged 18 points in the month of February. Started nine of 11 games. Yeah. So we've we have a glimmer of that. Can he turn that glimmer this season? Because I, you know, injuries happen all the time. I mean, the the Hornets faced that last season. So it's it's not yeah. like you know there. I think there will be a chance for Frank to shine again, and he's just going to have to take advantage of that. But look, if he becomes a consistent, you know, 38, 39 percent a three-point shooter and, and and strengthens up and is able to, you know, provide a little bit more on the defensive end than he has the past couple of seasons then again, why not? I just think it's it, there's a yep. little bit, but as we've said many times, Marvin Williams brings a lot to that starting unit. Look, if the starting unit plays as well as they did last season and, and Dwight Howard's going to affect that in a lot of ways, but if that happens again, then you don't mess with something that's working that's why i didn't, you know, that's why you wouldn't have done it last season look the starting the starting unit was not the problem
2: so right no yeah that's something they looked at i mean do you think um you know i think what i was hoping to see from frank at this point was maybe developing some other tools outside of the three point shot even though i think the three point shot is probably like his ace in the hole um but we saw a couple of flashes last year of him being able to take advantage of a mismatch on a smaller guy, like a lot like he did in college. And it's going to happen every once in a while. So like when he gets that mismatch, it would be nice to see him just take advantage of it every time. You know what I mean? Like be able to punish some of these smaller guys because he is going to have a height advantage when some of these switches and mismatches happen. Um, And I think that could be a way for him to contribute as well.
1: Absolutely, and passing as well. I think he, you know, he has just such a great feel for the game. He's got great basketball instincts, and and if he can use that and and develop passing, uh, you know, to to complement all of the rest of his game, I, I think it would help as well. All right. Uh, speaking of lineups, this sort of transitions perfectly into the next segment hmm. of this show. Wow. I had a chance yesterday. I like you're playing that. Well, you know, listen, we're trying to we're trying to up our game here on Locked On Horn. It's going to be a big season for this show. I'm excited. Big things to come, not only on the podcast, but we're doing more video. We've got the Patreon page up, releasing some cool things there. Going to do more giveaways this season. This is going to be your number one spot for Hornets coverage, so just stay tuned. Had a chance yesterday to chat with one of the newest writers for our friends over at atthehive.com, Evan Dial. He has a great new article out about Hornets five-man lineups you should be watching for in mid-October and maybe beyond check it out. Evan, before we talk about the lineups that you like for the Charlotte Hornets next season, let's talk about the lineups last season. Uh, where where did things go right? Where did things go wrong in your estimation uh, with the five-man lineups last season?
0: Well, that, that kind of was the inspiration of the article. And uh, the biggest thing I noticed last year with depth being an issue and then Clifford choosing to go for offense towards the end of the games to minimize MKG's ineffectiveness in that end. I just wanted to see which lineups worked best. So I think what went right was uh, a lot of the better lineups with emphasis on shooting, whether that meant more time for Kaminsky or Bellinelli last year, uh, this year likely to place my Monk. And then obviously what went wrong, the biggest was just Cody Zeller's absence. Uh, Obviously we were three and 17 without him. And obviously he's not a a good shooter, but his value as a screener was incredibly valuable in terms of creating good looks for others, especially Kemba who had a career high from three and pull up threes. They definitely formed a nice tandem. Zeller's one of the best, as I said in the article, in the league at screen assists. Uh, I think he was third in the league overall, so Batum and Kemba both benefited greatly from him. But overall, the notice the trend I noticed about the best lineups had the overall best plus minus. The emphasis was just on spacing and shooting and playmaking rather than the more defensive lineups.
1: Yeah, one of the things we know went right for the Hornets last season uh, in terms of five-man lineups was their starting unit, which in terms of total plus minus was a third best in the entire association. Uh, right. So, But they didn't make the playoffs. What's going on there, Evan?
0: Right. So we had a good point differential, better than three teams that did make the playoffs last year. And a big part of this inability in close games So what was interesting, even though our starters with MKG had such a good plus-minus, Clifford chose not to play that group a lot in uh, crunch time scenarios, hoping to get, I guess, more spacing or shooting on the floor. And while overall some of those lineups did perform well for good stretches, uh, a lot of times in the clutch uh, they did not perform so well. So I'm wondering if Clifford this year may go for maybe switch back to more, I guess, defensive lineups during close game situations.
1: Yeah, especially, I mean, when you add a a defensive presence like Dwight Howard pairing him with MKG and maybe some of the things that it could unleash in in not only MKG's defensive game, but also Nick Batum allowing those wings uh, to play a little further out to take a few more gambles could affect Kimball Walker as well. But as you said before, Uh, Some of the problems uh, with the Hornets' offense specifically was with their outside shooting. So talk about some of these lineups this season that you see as a possibility to uh, jumpstart, supercharge their three-point shooting.
0: Well, the most exciting part is our rookie first-round draft pick, Malik Monk. Uh, In his one year at Kentucky, he was 39% from three-point land. Uh, he looks like he'll be more than capable to be an NBA shooter. In terms of how much minutes he gets, uh, he'll have to earn his trust defensively, of course, with Steve Clifford. But he gives simply just a better version of what Marco Bellinelli was last year. Because not only is he a spot up shooter, he can also shoot off the dribble and create a little bit And then, as I wrote in the article, the best three-point shooting lineup, if you add with him, with Kemba, Batum, Marvin Williams, and you play Kaminsky at center, you can have now a lineup with uh, five three-point shooters on the floor at one time. And depending on Monk's progress as a rookie, still some capable defenders in there. So I think that's a lineup that Hornets fans should be excited about for sure.
1: Now, now, with these specific five-man lineups that you've put together, I mean, this one in particular, the the three-point shooting lineup, Kimba Walker, Nick Batum, Malik Monk, Marvin Williams, Frank Kaminsky, and that's going to be a tough lineup defensively. How often do you, do you think that Clifford should go with a lineup like this, and, and how can they find ways to add versatility uh, throughout their five-man lineup sets?
0: Yeah, uh, I want to predict this lineup to get huge minutes, as you said, because of the defensive issues uh, with a rookie Monk. And as you know, Kaminsky can trouble have trouble defending in space, even though I do like him a little better at the five defensively. But I would still look Clifford uh, to play it, you know, if Charlotte's in a big hole and maybe later on in the season as Monk earns more trust. Uh, what they can do to kind of mitigate some of the defensive issues is they could easily slide in Zeller for Kaminsky at the five who's a better defensor and you still have four shooters around Zeller that could be a very easy lineup and then also you could put in Jeremy Lamb for Monk or less spacing and just for going defense you could put an MKG there as well.
1: Now you mentioned Jeremy Lamb uh, he's a guy that you put in your best overall offensive lineup and I was talking about this uh, with uh, Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball for his latest episode. It's amazing to me that Jeremy Lamb, uh, post-All-Star break, had a 57.7% true shooting percentage despite shooting under 32% from beyond the arc. Uh, he was, he's made some improvements offensively despite uh, not being able to shoot the ball as well from outside the arc. What kind of things can Jeremy Lamb give this offense if he continues to progress?
0: What, what Lamb can do is uh, be another live threat off the dribble as a one-on-one score, someone who can get his own shot when the play either breaks down or it's the end of the shot clock. And really the only other person who can do that on a consistent basis is Kemba. So it was interesting to see, even though Lamb's not a, a great spot-up shooter, he was only 28% from three, I do expect him to prove a little bit of that but he's incredibly athletic. I thought he looked stronger last year and his shot selection really improved and he was able to get to the line a little more. He had a career high and free throw attempts. He's able to finish around the basket. So he just gives the Hornets another slasher and a guy who can get buckets when the play breaks down. Something that is still very valuable in this league.
1: Let's look at your best defensive lineup. Michael Carter Williams, Nick Batu, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, and... Dwight Howard. That also looks like the the starting lineup. If Kimball Walker uh, were to go down with an injury, uh, how well do you see this lineup being able to hang in terms of their offensive ability? Uh, and and how do you do you feel like that would be such a good defensive lineup that it could account for some of the spacing woes that it would cause?
0: Defensively, I think it would be very good. Uh, Dwight Howard. We know he's not the athlete he once was, but he's still a very good rim protector and a defensive rebounder. That was already a strength for Charlotte last year, but I think it would only increase with him now. With MKG, Marvin Williams, Batum, and Michael Carter-Williams, you have four guys capable of switching and guarding multiple positions, so they'll be versatile on that end. So I think their upside defensively is very high. Offensively, the problem is you only have two real three-point shooters in Marvin Williams and Batum. As we know, Michael Carter-Williams is only around 25% from his career for deep. So offensively, they would have uh, some issues. I think Batum would have to look to be a little more aggressive and look for his shot more than instead of being a creator in this lineup. But I think with him, Marvin Williams, Dwight Howard, and MKG posting or cutting, maybe Michael Carter-Williams posting little guards – They can squeeze out enough offense to make this lineup uh, playable for decent minutes next year.
1: All right. I don't want to give away your best overall lineup. I want people to go to at the hive.com and read this entire article because there's so much we're not going to be able to get to a lot packed in here. A lot of great information uh, from Evan dial. So, uh, but so I'm not going to give it away. But I will say that you give a lot of love to Frank Kaminsky and even sort of kind of predict that maybe he's able to get a few more minutes. What did you see last season from Frank Kaminsky that sort of keys you in on on his development and, and maybe his ability to squeeze himself into a possible starting lineup?
0: What I liked about Kaminsky last season in terms of improvement was his shot selection and his playmaking off pick and rolls. Uh, He averaged a career-high assist and assist percentage. He's a smart player and a willing passer. And the offense always, in all the lineups, the one thing I noticed, the offense ran smoother with him and Zeller in it. And Kaminsky, even though he didn't shoot a good percentage, he shoots a high volume firm three which helps his kind of his gravity ranking. something kevin pelt ESPN talks about defenders are forced to respect his three because he takes so much of them and that opens up things for the whole offense and i'm hoping this year he'll be a little stronger we can feature him in the post a little bit more at a five uh, hopefully he gets his three point percentage back up to 35 and if he could do both of that uh he'll be a real threat offensively combined with his is a uh, really good passing for a big man. So uh I'm I'm expecting him to take another step. I'm not sure how high his ceiling is with his limited athleticism, but I surely expect him to continue to improve.
1: Evan, I get this question invariably every single off season. So I'm going to ask it to you. Hey, what about MKG at the four?
0: Right. So my first article for SB Nate, I wrote about MKG, and I think he will be playing more at the four this year. Off-season reports have him. He's gained about 10 pounds of muscle. He's looking good. There was the videos of him working with Steve Clefford in the post. And I think it basically says at this point, he's not going to be a three-point shooter or even a decent mid-range shooter. Let's try to play him inside a little more where he's great at drawing contacts, getting fouls. He's actually a pretty good foul shooter even though he's not a good shooter. And just using him as a cutter, a slasher, and a post player. And now with Monk, we have we could do three guard lineups where him at the four can make sense and he could be protected by the five, either Zeller or Howard. So I would expect to see that a little more this season.
1: Yeah, and they found a little bit of that with Nick Batum last season as well, posting him up in situations, matchups, where where he was you know, obviously the bigger, taller guard in that situation, and they were able to find some success for Nick Batum offensively. And maybe uh, once they saw that, they thought, okay, maybe we can do this for MKG as well. It will be very interesting to watch, and it's good to have Evan Dial on the At The Hive team Uh, watching it with us and providing that great analysis. Evan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Locked On Hornets.
0: Thank you very much, Doug. Appreciate it.
1: Evan Dial, their smart basketball guy and fellow podcaster. David, he has his own podcast, Dial It Up. It's an all-NBA podcast, and his last name is spelled D-Y-A-L, along with uh, that podcast name as well, Dial It Up. And you can listen to that on SoundCloud. So go to SoundCloud.com and search Dial, D-Y-A-L, it up. That's the All-NBA Podcast. Good stuff. He talks to a lot of smart people. So check it out. Um, Let's talk about what Evan had to say. Five-man lineups. David, what are some interesting aspects to these lineups that you see?
2: Well, the guy we just talked about, I think Frank Kaminsky is involved in some of these better offensive and certainly the better three-point shooting lineups, Doug. I mean, that's why I think he's just going to get those opportunities. The Hornets, like you said, like scoring wasn't necessarily the problem, but I mean, especially in late-game scenarios, they're going to need everyone out there that they can that can make a shot, which is uh, the leads me to the other interesting guy, of course, is Malik Monk, who we just don't know exactly how he's going to fit in and and talks to that point and, and uh, mentions that in his piece here. So, um, you know, the replacement of Bellinelli, because, you know, for what he was, Doug, I mean, he was still very, very important to what the Hornets did when they were trying to score and especially hit threes last year. Um, and he's out. So, I mean, I know they're counting on Monk to replace some of that. And it's just be a question of how fast can he can he do that and how fast can they trust him? I mean, to me.
1: Yeah, you wonder if the Charlotte Hornets are going to become even more of sort of a tale of two teams, where you know we know that Steve Clifford traditionally likes to start with defense and end with offense, but how different will the team look in in the beginning of the game and the end of the game? Because you know I look at this uh, projected starting lineup and it's it's two in three out, and and it looks like it could be sort of grinded out basketball, slow the game down. Whereas when you have an athlete, a transition player like Malik Monk, you've got Frank Kaminsky, who I saw on social media, uh, tossing a football pretty far. Look kind of like an outlet pass yeah. to me. Maybe he can get that sort of Kevin Love over-the-head, two-handed outlet pass going on. Maybe get some transition a little bit later in the game. Get it going up and down. Speed the game up as, as you look to sort – you want to sort – it's like a you want to constrict them at the beginning of the game – and, and lock it down and maybe build a little bit of a lead. And then, and you know, maybe that change of speed could throw some teams off. I don't know. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see how these lineups look different in the first half than they will maybe later in the game.
2: Hey, Doug, um, uh, Evan mentioned the, the best defensive lineup here. I just want to read that out one more time. That's Michael Carter-Williams, Nick Batum, mm-hmm. MKG, Marvin mm-hmm. Williams, and mm-hmm. Dwight Howard. If you were watching a game on, let's say you DVR'd a game, Doug, let's say you watched it on record, and you saw that lineup out there, how long would it take for you to kind of you know hit the fast-forward button if you saw, when you saw that deep, <laughs> defensive lineup out there?
1: Yeah, and, and again, the, what's scary is that that's what the Hornets could be facing if Kemba Walker were to miss extended time. Oh, I mean, oh my God. Yeah, you know, people talk about, oh, yeah. should maybe MKG or Marvin Williams transition to the bench for various reasons? I think that's a scenario where they could. Where if you lose Kimball Walker for extended periods of time, you go, Look, I I got MCW behind him, not a great three point shooter. I gotta get some shooting into this lineup. Okay, you know who they you know, so you leave Marvin in there because you want his outside shooting if it's, you know, second half of last year levels and not first half of last year levels. So you look at MKG and say, Well, we've you know, I want to start with defense. He's he's sort of the quarterback of the defense, but at the same time, you can't you can, you can maybe, if your defense is good enough, you can survive playing three out and two in, perhaps. But if it's not, uh, then, you know, you can't, but you can't survive playing, you know, three three in, two out. It's just not going to work. So they would have to find some way to get some shooting in there, and that's when you could, yeah, I, yeah, I don't see that lineup really existing.
2: <laughs> it's terrifying. It really is. Um, is spacing the biggest question for you when you, when we start to see some of these like preseason games and lineups, I mean, with the addition of Howard and you've already, you'll know, have MKG out there. I mean, that's the biggest thing to me. Like, how are these, how is that going to fit? Because I mean, as you mentioned, um, that, that's going to be an issue. It, I mean, unless MKG has drastically changed something, you know, he's not going to provide any spacing with shooting. I mean, you know what Howard gives you. And so it's, it's going to fall so much on Batum and Kemba. And, and of course, more of still, but I mean, that's just that's got to be the biggest concern for them.
1: Yeah, I think so, uh, and and I think they'll find some creative ways to address it and and do what they can. But look, I mean, to be honest, what spacing did they have last season with that with that starting unit with Cody Zeller and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and they they seem to get along fine. I mean, that that starting unit was one of the better uh, playing units in the NBA last season, so. Um, you know when Kimba's play, when Kimba's shooting as well as he was, and and Nick Batum, you know, for all of the things that that he needs to work on for this season, outside shooting was was okay. Um, and, you know, I yeah. think I, I think they could figure it out. Uh, and, and Dwight Howard gives them a lot of advantages that make up for the fact that you you would have to you know deal with some spacing issues. But um, yeah, a lot of it's going to be a lot of it's going to be on Kimba, a lot of it's going to be on Batum, and and a lot of it will be Ken Marvin Williams. Uh, continue what he did in the second half of last season and uh, we will certainly pay attention to that. Uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. And we're back next week with uh, some on, some more fun topics. A couple of shows next week before we kick things back off with uh, five podcast podcasts. Every week, daily podcast. That's what we're about here on the Locked On Network. Send your questions to BuzzBuzz at lockedonhornets.com. And we'll see you next week. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.